Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Ashley Danu. Ashley Danu, PhD, is a musician, educator, writer, and entrepreneur. She writes a blog for church musicians and music educators and hosts the Field Notes on Music Teaching and Learning podcast. Ashley has taught over 2,600 students through her online courses and workshops and maintains a private studio for K-12 students. In 2020, Ashley and her husband Steve co-founded Musician and Company, a site dedicated to equipping classical musicians with the tools and education they need to be business owners and build diverse portfolio careers. Ashley received a BA in music from the University of Georgia and completed a Master of Music and PhD in Music Education at the Eastman School of Music. She also received a Certificate in Arts Leadership from Eastman's Institute for Music Leadership. Her work has been published by Piano Magazine, Oxford University Press Choral Blog, NAFME, Colavoce Music, Peak Music Publishing, and Growing in Grace. She has presented her work at the National Conference on Keyboard Pedagogy and College Music Society Mid-Atlantic Regional Conference and is a featured artist in the book, The Savvy Music Teacher. Ashley lives in Rochester, New York with Steve and their lab greyhound rescue, Rory. Hello and welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you today. How are you doing? I'm well, Olivia. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Wonderful too. As we were just chatting before we went on air, I was just admiring your podcast because it's <laughs> one of my favorite teaching ones to listen to. So it's it's always good to put uh, a face to the voice, as yeah, you exactly. say. So. Same way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to start all of my interviews off with the origin story question, and that's what led you down the path of becoming a musician? That is a really great question. Music has always been a part of my life. I love to sing and dance. And I was drawn to the piano from a really young age. We had a piano at home. And basically, as soon as I could crawl up there, I was exploring the keys and the sounds. And I started lessons with my mom in kindergarten, and then eventually with other teachers in the next year or two after that. But I was always really shy when it came to performing, Mm. especially in more of a formal recital type environment. So when I thought about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I chose artist or writer and veterinarian (laughs) musician. And veterinarians stuck for a while. So when I started looking at college degree programs, that was when I realized that to be a veterinarian, you had to take like all these science classes. I don't know what I thought a veterinarian (laughs) degree program looked like before that, but I knew right away that was not for me. And at that point, I kind of looked around at my life and I realized that music had been there all along as this Mm. constant. And it kind of felt like that's what I was meant to do. That's cool. That's great. That's funny. The the career paths that we, we like choose before before actually realizing what they are. You're the founder of Musician and Company with your husband Steve. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you tell us more about what led you down the path of starting a company that helped musicians create portfolio careers? And it's a company that has really helped me. I use your workbooks. Um, I love all of the content. I see there's some new courses coming up, so we'll chat about that later. Yeah, what led you to creating a business centered around helping musicians create their own businesses? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you found some helpful resources that makes it feel all worthwhile. (laughs) Um, It is something that I have always been passionate about. So the business side of things, Mm -hmm. I obviously love the art side of creating and um, music things, but the business side, the behind the scenes, numbers, the analytics, 
the writing aspects, all that has always intrigued me as well. And my husband, Steve, and I both knew early on, uh, we met in grad school. And so around that time, we were talking about future careers and what we wanted to do. And I think we both knew that we wanted to do more than one thing with mm-hmm. our careers. And so teaching was obviously something I was already doing, um, something I was interested in pursuing more of, but not necessarily as the only thing that I did. And we wanted to have the control over our time and our creative work and the projects that we said yes to. We liked working for ourselves and working from home. So we kind of started building these portfolios of different activities and things that spoke to our different interests, I guess. So the motivation to start Musician and Company came from years of watching a lot of our friends and colleagues in the music world just take on any and everything they could. I mean, just piling on all these part-time jobs and suddenly they're teaching at four different schools as adjuncts and they have studios in three different places and mm-hmm. yeah they're just taking on all these projects just feeling like that's what it took to be successful mm-hmm. that's what it meant to be successful was that you're running from one thing to the next that you have four or five gigs a week that you're working all these weekends that you're so busy that you can't do anything else you can't have a social life you can't say yes to things because i'm busy i'm successful that's what it means and i we mm-hmm. get this idea i guess from music school or teachers or somewhere that that's what it looks like. And in my experience, that often leads to burnout. Ask me how I know. (laughs) (laughs) So we just felt like there was potential to do things differently and that hustling wasn't the only way to achieve success. That music careers could be more sustainable. And that was Mm -hmm. something we were trying to develop with our own careers. So we created this website and an online course that was designed to really equip classical musicians with those business skills and the education that they need to be small business owners and help them learn how to build something more sustainable, a portfolio career that kind of speaks to their different interests that is manageable. Yeah, I think that that's a common thing in in musicians is is just this taking on everything. We almost have a scarcity mentality, maybe. Yeah. You know, because it's because we do work gig work that it's not as consistent. And so we want to just say yes to everything. And right. the busy becomes a badge of honor almost. But you're right. It's you don't have time for a life and you get burnt out. Can you realistically keep that yeah. going? Exactly. You want to be still living that fast paced life in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years, or, you know, do you want a music career that can actually support the life that you want to live and the lifestyle? Exactly. Exactly. You use a term that I haven't heard before, which is uh, musicpreneur and how musical entrepreneurs often have to balance like this idea of several jobs at once, the portfolio career. It's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) So how can we learn to create this balance between our jobs and create a healthy, sustainable life as a self-employed musician. Because I think that we don't have to buy into the mentality of starving artists. And we also don't have to say yes to everything, right? Like, yeah, we can live somewhere in the healthy in the middle. <laughs> is yeah. that place? Um, I think it's really true that it, it is a blessing and a curse some days. For me, I've always felt like doing more than one thing helped me stay creative and fresh mm-hmm. and maintain that balance. Because I think if I taught full time, for instance, and taught, you know, 35, 40, 50 students, like some teachers do, I would burn out. I would mm-hmm. burn out of teaching from teaching. And I would just not be investing my best self, my musical self into my students and their music learning experiences. But having 15 to 20 students 
a week and then having extra time to work on a podcast where I can reflect on mm-hmm. music teaching and learning processes and what I'm learning and what my what I'm seeing my students do. I can write a blog. I can spend time doing research that you know, feeds me as a teacher and an artist. I can write and help other musicians and business owners and do other kinds of creative work that helps me have this balanced work life. And so then when I'm feeling kind of burnt out in one area, like the end of the school year is always a struggle with my teaching schedule. And there's just more stuff. There's solo fest and recital and the kids are mm-hmm. losing motivation. And so you're working harder and it's just <laughs> it, it'd be challenging to keep my motivation and not edge on the, yeah. the edge of burnout there. So I can just switch hats for a little while, work on something else and come mm-hmm. back to what I need to do for teaching and kind of balance it that way. I think that there are pros and cons to it. It's not going to be the right fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. And those of us who like doing multiple things and, and feel like I don't know how to choose, how would I choose between performing and teaching and writing? You know, this is a great option because it lets you do a little bit of everything. And I think mm-hmm. that speaks to who you are as a music- musician and who you are as a person that then you're kind of incorporating all of your passions and all of your interests into your professional work. Yeah. And I think that it's important to realize what you feel you're, you're called to, or you're, you're sort of led to not everyone is going to be a choir accompanist. Not everyone's going to be a collaborative pianist. My husband's a collaborative pianist and he learns concertos like super fast. And that is not me in any stretch of the imagination. You know, or, or playing, you know, gigs at weddings and things like that. I know people that are wedding pianists as part of portfolio career. And so finding what you enjoy and what you're good at Mm -hmm. and being able to say yes to more of those things. And that's one of the beauties of this is that you really can curate your work and choose the things that are most meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that self-employed musicians undervalue their work? And their time. How how do we learn to set rates that are reasonable, achievable for our customers and students, but also values our time? I was talking with Amy Webster on the podcast last week, and she was saying that she's like, well, I learned that I could make more at the grocery store than what my my piano teacher is making. So then she charged, you know, she said that she started to charge more than her piano teacher because because she said she wanted to value her time, which I, I totally agree with. I think that this is a common challenge for us as musicians, because I think most of us want to genuinely serve and help other people. Mm-hmm. And whether that's through teaching or writing or performing or whatever it is you do, most of us feel like we want to give, we want to serve, and we feel insecure talking about money mm-hmm. and our value and the value of our time and those things, partly because no one ever taught us how to do this. Yeah. It feels awkward and uncomfortable. There's so much to say on this particular topic, but I think my best just general piece of advice would be to set appropriate rates for your work. Mm -hmm. You need a really solid understanding of how much time you're investing in that work, whether that's a service or a product you're designing or developing, knowing also what's a reasonable price in the market, what the market will pay for. And that's kind of more specific to like studio teaching rates and yeah. like that because it can vary widely based on where you're located. Your expertise and your level of education can also make a difference in setting your rates. And then just thinking about paying yourself as the employee in your business and also as the CEO. So as a self-employed musician, you are responsible for paying all those business things like overhead and taxes and health insurance and yep. retirement and any material costs that you need to do your work, travel expenses and things like that too. Plus you have to then build in some profit. So you're not just breaking even with what things cost and how much time you're investing. 
And then you know, think about things like if you want to make $100 for your time, for instance, like you want $100 in your bank account at the end of the day, you really have to charge anywhere from 150 to 200 mm-hmm. to factor in those other business expenses. So of course, in some situations, the price is going to be non-negotiable. You don't have the opportunity to set your own rates. So this doesn't really apply to that. You'd have to choose in that circumstance, $100 for the gig, that's what it pays, take it or leave it. And that's up to you to decide. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are some other things you can negotiate into that, like you play less than the time that they're asking for, or maybe you get them to reimburse your travel or they provide a meal with mm-hmm. it or something else to kind of give you some extra benefit. But if you have the opportunity to set your own rate or propose a rate for a gig or a commission or something like that, I use this quick formula because I always just have to check my instincts of what sounds like a reasonable price and then what is a reasonable price. Yeah. So here's the formula. Add up how much you would like to make for your time, include any expenses or hard costs that you know will be part of that, and then double that number. That's kind of the <laughs> And it really comes out to be pretty accurate for me yeah. <laughs> um, because that means that, yeah, you have, you know, maybe 50%, if you're doubling the number, 50% is going to be your, you know, business expenses, your overhead and your cost of your website and travel and mm-hmm. anything else that you need to do to run your business. And then that 50% that you thought of initially is what you would like to make. That's what you make and that's what you yeah. take. And yeah. then you pay taxes and everything else out of that. But, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> exactly. So again, this doesn't apply to everything. That's kind of just a very basic piece of advice um, and a general formula. There's a lot that goes into mm-hmm. determining mm-hmm. your prices more than just like picking a number out of the air, how much I would like to make, you know, and then dividing that among all my yeah. students kind of thing. So I actually did put a, a blog post together with a few more tips and, and yeah. in that. So I can send you the link for that. So I'll make sure to link to that. That's wonderful. I like, like how you said at the end, I was like waiting for it and you're like, double it. Double it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because you're right in that we're, you know, if we go out to, you know, play a cocktail hour or something and they say we pay $150, right? Okay, great. I'm getting $150 an hour, but it's not actually $150 an hour because you're you're driving out there and you're driving back. You're maybe transporting your own instrument. You're learning all of the music. Yeah, maybe you had to buy music for the gig. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's, there's all those other costs that go into plus, you know, retirement and your business overhead expenses and the things behind the scenes that we don't usually think about as, you know, yes. money out of, out of yeah. a like that, but there should be a little percentage of everything that you're making that goes to pay all those behind the scenes expenses. Absolutely. So then how do you feel about doing things for exposure? I think it depends. I don't really have a hard and fast uh, rule about that or an yeah. opinion. I think it depends. I think that there are certain cases, if it's for a good cause and things like that, you want to be part of something and it could look good for you in the community. You're trying to get your name Mm -hmm. out there or, you know, meet people and get connected. I think there can be benefits to doing it, but I think you're taking on, you know, that's a business expense basically that you're taking on. So looking at it as, as that, doing it simply for the possibility of, you know, future gigs or, you know, like only for exposure, I would probably caution, think through that before saying yes. But I think if there are enough reasons to say yes, um, it's a way of giving back to the community or things like that. Yeah. You have to know your why, right? How important do you feel it is to have a lane or a niche as a business owner? Do you think that we sort of figure that out over time? But then what if what if you want to change? A lot of us do, right? Yeah. I think it's really common. I think that this evolves and unfolds naturally as you go. And and I do think that you uncover what's unique about you and your skills and your experiences, your strengths, 
as a musician, as a teacher, as a human, as you go. Mm -hmm. And it's that unique combination of things that we're good at and things that we're drawn to or things that are interesting to us. And then the experiences that we have, things that we've learned, things that we've taught ourselves. That's what helps define that niche or that lane, as you put it, and then creates that space in the market for you to really be yourself and then attract the right people to what you're doing. So as I mentioned before, I think it's something that evolves as we go through our careers and we we grow and change and we have new experiences and we learn new things and we have new ideas and the world changes around us and yeah. we're you know changing within that. Look at the last <laughs> three years, for example. Yeah. Um, so I think it's totally fine and really normal to change lanes mid-career mm-hmm. or even just as you're getting started in your career and to pivot. I like the, yeah. the use of the word pivot because yes. I'm not a basketball player. In basketball, when you pivot, <laughs> keep one foot planted yeah. and you're just turning direction. And so you're still grounded and rooted in something, some piece of your identity, some part of yourself. And I like that imagery. So mm-hmm. it's totally normal to pivot or to change completely and go mm-hmm. play soccer instead of basketball. <laughs> Whatever analogy you want to use, whether it's, you know, moving from active teaching to something that's more administrative or going back to school and kind of changing directions that way, or some people shift from playing in an ensemble or singing in a choir to being the conductor. And now mm-hmm. they're, they're learning conducting skills, or maybe you retire from teaching and then you start up a new career as an arts advocate or something. So I think one of the great things about having a portfolio career, in my opinion, is that it can shift and change with you. And you can, mm-hmm. you know, lessen this and add this and take this out and put this in. And it kind of helps you develop that sense of a multifaceted identity. Instead of yeah. your identity just being rooted to one thing, I do this, I am this, I am all of these things that make yeah. up my portfolio. Yeah, I like that. And I think that it's something that too needs to be taught within music schools. I don't know how you feel about that, but I felt like I learned the portfolio thing sort of as I went from observing, but not necessarily being taught that. Like I was in a performance degree and it was like, well, no one's going to hire me to be a full-time performer at, with a bachelor's of music performance. It just means that I can play the piano reasonably well. And I've even had university students come to me as as the professor and say, like, how do you decide like what to do next? Like, I don't know what to do next. And how do how do you decide? And you look like you have it all together. And I was like, well, one, I don't have it all together. And two, I was like, you figure it out along the way. Like, you don't have to have that set career path as right. soon as you finish high school or finish college even, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a great article in the Harvard Business Review. I think it came out in 2021 or 2022, April Wren talks about the portfolio career and the portfolio life. And she says the beautiful thing about portfolio careers is that it doesn't have one destination. Mm -hmm. So it's not a career Mm -hmm. path as in a straight line to one destination. It's a journey and it has any number of destinations and maybe multiple ones at different times. So just having that shift in perspective that we're not just necessarily going towards one thing. And if we don't get there, or if we decide to change paths partway through, we failed. It's not about that. It's about just taking in all of your skills and experiences and creating something unique and then having kind of spokes that go off of the portfolio in different directions. Yeah. I like that idea of like spokes in a wheel. Yeah. I think that's a good analogy. What do you consider the most challenging part of working as a portfolio musician? I think the greatest challenge is probably knowing when my portfolio is full. Mm. Mm -hmm. and what I can reasonably take on. So I read something recently in the Harvard Business Review, again, full-time capacity is really only 85% of our our Mm -hmm. available time. And if you think about like 
an assembly line or some kind of machine-based company, if they run it at 100% capacity, that, that can only last for so long before yes. something breaks, right? And then the whole thing gets shut down for maintenance and repairs. And so we are the same way. We can't run at 100% capacity or 110 or 20% capacity for very long before something's going to break. And yes. then we have to kind of reevaluate. So for example, the school where I teach private lessons is six minutes from my house. So I could round up and give myself a nice solid 10 minutes to get there and get set up before lesson, but I actually need 20 to 25 minutes to drive there, get a parking space, walk across the parking lot, go inside, get to the classroom, set up, and then walk out to meet my students. So just thinking about factoring in that extra time, you know, and for other things too, like time to exercise and time to eat and cook and time to walk the dog and just time <laughs> to be human. Yeah. It takes time. And, you know, I added it up recently. It was like six and a half hours a day or something of just being a human. <laughs> <laughs> and not counting sleep. That's a lot of time that we don't often factor in when we're thinking of, you know, how many students can I take on? How many gigs can I take on? How many hours can I practice? And so just thinking about what, how much time you have available and what full-time capacity actually is, if you're thinking of only 85% and then the rest of that time, 15% is reserved for those things that, you know, we can't predict. There's mm. you know, a car accident on the way to teaching and you get slowed down, you need extra time or just the time it takes to respond to an email that comes in that you weren't expecting. You know, there's lots of things that just come up in our day where we just need a little extra time that gives us the, the margin that we need. So I think just recognizing that and accepting that there's going to be some margin in the day and every hour and every minute doesn't need to be booked in order to feel like I'm working, you know, to my full yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, what do you think is the most enjoyable part for you of building a portfolio career as a musician? Well, I like being my own boss and yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably my time is probably my number one motivator in my mm. creative work. And so having control of that and being able to choose how I spend my time and when I do certain tasks or work on different projects during the day, I love working from home. I love being able to choose what kind of work I do. So if something isn't feeling like it's a good fit anymore, I can let that go and add in something else or increase something else that I'm doing that does feel like a good fit. I like the variety of my work. So doing a little bit of teaching, maybe part-time teaching, and then time for writing and time for creating and time for researching and how that represents all of my different interests. Yeah, absolutely. I also like the variety because I can just sort of switch modes, I, I guess, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think, like, what's one piece of advice that you feel like all music entrepreneurs or musicpreneurs should have for running their business? What is, what's your, what's your top? That's a hard question. <laughs> one piece of advice or a few. to all music entrepreneurs in their business. I think if I had to choose just one thing, I would say figuring out what enough is for you. Yeah. And that it applies to financial things and mm -hmm. artistic things. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you know what you're aiming towards, like this is would be the ultimate for me. This is what enough looks like. It means that I'm working full-time in music. That would be enough. Or if I am able to achieve this level, this recognition, this position, this rank, whatever it is, like that would be enough. Or if I make this many dollars, that would be enough. Like, what is it for you? Where is that that line? Mm -hmm. This is enough. And then I can stop. I can rest. I can do other things. I can volunteer or donate my time or resources to something else. I could serve in some other capacity. So I think just knowing it's not something we really talk about a lot yeah. in school. And I think it's not something I really started thinking about until I got to that point of my portfolio is too full and I'm doing too much, but I feel like I can't 
afford to let anything go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the scarcity mindset that we talked about earlier, I think it feeds into that. So really stopping and evaluating what enough is financially and artistically for you, I think could be really valuable. Yeah. And I think that comparison can often get in the way of deciding what's enough for you, right? What your capacity is. It can be easy to sort of look across, <laughs> look across the room and, and like, well, they can do all of these things. Yeah. Look at what they're doing. I should be doing more. I could be doing more. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you have so many great resources on your musician and co website. And I think that you've got some, some courses that are coming up. Can you tell us more about what is offered over at musician and co so that so that our listeners can can check that out. Yeah, of course. So at Musician and Company, we have a blog and we have a free resource library with worksheets and templates that you can use in your business. We have a new template shop that we're getting up and running this spring. Awesome. And we also have a free book club. So every quarter I choose a book that's related to running a business or the creative process or being a musician, being a teacher. And I put out a reading plan that's self-paced so you can read along with us during that month or you can read it on your own time and your own pace and then I published a book review with some of my thoughts and that is actually going to turn into a private podcast this summer awesome. so you can listen to book reviews instead of just having um written form for those. So then we also have two online courses available right now. We have a free mini course on tax basics for musicpreneurs. And then we have a podcast style audio course called the musicpreneur model. And this is where we talk about those essential business strategies that you need as a classical musician in this post pandemic AI generated world that we're living in. (laughs) And we also outline our proven model for building a portfolio career that's unique and that's sustainable for the long term. And that course is getting an overhaul this year. We've been revamping all the curriculum, rewriting, adding in new content, creating a workbook. We've re-recorded all the lessons. So all that is coming this summer. Amazing. That sounds so great. So I'll be sure to check some of those out. And I I know one of the booklets, I guess, the the digital booklets that I've Mm -hmm. got from your website that I really like is the CEO, Think Like a CEO Workbook. CEO Workbook. Yeah, it's a great one to check out. One of the things that that you talk about a little bit through Musician & Co. is this idea of like building passive income. Can you speak to that a little bit more? How can we as musicians grow our our passive income so it doesn't have to be our time? Right. That we're giving, yeah. you know, to, to make the money. That's huge. Um, passive income is really one of the things that sets us apart as entrepreneurs or musicpreneurs versus freelancers, mm-hmm. where you're pretty much always getting paid in exchange for your time as a freelancer. Yeah. And so as an entrepreneur, you can create something once and then sell it over and over again, which allows you to generate a nice little income stream in your business without having to continually invest your time every time you make a sale. So it gives you the potential to make money then while you're sleeping or on vacation or working on something else. You could be creating another product or resource over here or doing another service and making mm-hmm. money on the other side through this passive income stream at the same time. So that really gives you freedom to create or rest and grow a business that works for you. And so there are several ways to do that. You can write a piece of music and sell it over and over again digitally. You could create evergreen digital products or 
courses or webinars or workshops or things that you sell online. My favorite way to generate passive income is through affiliate links. So working with brands and businesses that you trust and then creating content that links to their products or services. And you then earn a commission for every referral or sale that you make or that you refer. And that can become a fairly substantial PayPal deposit each month in your business. And that content can live evergreen and keep right. bringing in leads and keep generating sales for that other business or company. And then you just keep reaping the benefits mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. So for uh, affiliate links, I want to pause on that for a second because I am I know that there are a few, like I do one with Amazon and Sheet Music Plus. Do you know of others? What are, what are other ones that musicians would use regularly? Yeah. Music Notes gives you a little bit of a kickback. I think Sheet Music Direct has one. So a couple other Sheet Music digital um, companies use affiliate programs like that. I also use software. Like if you pay for software in your business, you, a lot of those right. just offer affiliate programs. And so then you can put out a blog post or Instagram content or something else that says, hey, these are the tools I use in my business. Mm-hmm. Create a tools page on your website with all the email marketing or invoicing apps or other resources like that that you're using. Course hosting platforms all have affiliate programs. And some of them are very generous, especially if they're just kind of getting started and they're smaller companies, they're pretty generous with their affiliates. So if you get in early, you can kind of lock in a a greater commission rate. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's nice. Um, I have a few, a few products for sale in my, in my shop on my website. I sometimes forget about it and then I'll get like, uh, you know, I'll get an email in. It's just like, you just made $30. It's like, Oh, great. I forgot. (laughs) It's nice to bonus because I don't have to think about it. Right. Yeah. You create it once you put it up there and then you just leave it and then you draw attention to it and point to it from time to time. But a lot of times it can just be discovered through Google search. Yeah. You really just put it kind of on autopilot. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, it's just been wonderful to chat with you. I feel like we could talk a lot more, but I love that our conversation here was focused on on portfolio careers. And I really encourage anybody listening to check out Ashley's website. You've got amazing, like I know when I was teaching kids choir at church, I've used your your blogs yeah. quite a bit. And the podcast Field Notes is also just an excellent one as well. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to wrap up our chat uh, with a few rapid fire questions. Go with your gut, no wrong answers. Could you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician? So I think in high school, I was interning at the time with music directors at my church and I was accompanying a vocal ensemble. I was teaching children's choir, was singing in the adult choir, was taking piano, teaching a piano student or two even, but I didn't really recognize at that moment what I was doing. I wanted to be a veterinarian, you know? I would have told you I don't want to be a professional musician, but it's around that time I looked around and I realized I kind of already am. I yeah. do all these things. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you have a favorite piece or song to perform or play currently? Yeah, I think I always go back to the Bach Italian Concerto. Mm. I learned that piece at the end of my call at end of college going into grad school is one of my audition pieces. And I just love it. And it has just so much character. And my piano teacher at the time, you know, has all these colored markings in the score. <laughs> she used a different color marker every week. Yeah, it's like yeah. very colorful. And I just love going back to that. Oh, that's fun. I played that one in one of my recitals in, in my undergrad as, as well. And you open up the score and it's just like, just, yeah. just filled. Yeah, it's I'm fun going back to those. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, what are you enjoying in your musical life right now? Well, I just attended the National Conference on Keyword Pedagogy and my brain is just buzzing with Mm. all kinds of new ideas and research insights and lots of new repertoire to explore this summer. Fun. That's wonderful. Um, Have you ever been given bad career advice? 
what was it? Not specifically that I can think of, but I think generally just the advice to go out and network and then the goal being that you ultimately get employment through that, through those connections. Mm -hmm. I think that really just didn't fit with my career or my aspirations. So networking is great for lots of other reasons. Mm -hmm. So just think beyond going out and getting hired. Yeah, absolutely. What are you listening to right now? Taylor Swift. Yeah. You know what? I was actually listening to a Taylor Swift playlist on my drive yesterday. (laughs) I have to admit, I don't usually listen to a lot of pop music because we, we have really great classical and jazz radio stations here and that's usually what we have on in the car and at home or cooking dinner and stuff so but I make an effort to listen to Taylor Swift because my students are so into her music and we're <laughs> working on some creative arrangements and lead sheet play fun. this summer in the studio oh that's always fun that's great well thanks for coming on loud and clear do you mind letting our audience know where they can find you of course. I am online at musicianandcompany.com and also my own website, ashleydanu.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at ashleydanu. Amazing. I'll have links to everything that we've talked about in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on and chatting with me. I hope this is helpful for our listeners and it was really great to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. All right. And that's going to have to do it for this week on the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Ashley. And I really hope that you go out and check out all of the amazing resources on Musician and Company and AshleyDanu.com. And please check out the podcast field notes if you are a music teacher. I love Ashley's podcast. They're about 15 to 20 minutes long. It's perfect to just listen to quickly in the morning before I start my day of teaching, or I'll listen to it on my commute to work. It's uh, really one of my favorite teaching podcasts. So I hope that you check it out. As always, everything is linked in the show notes. Please leave us a five-star rating or written review on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps to spread the word about the podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.